Hello, and welcome to Beyond Consulting, brought to you by ECA Partners. For those of you joining us for the first time, the aim of our podcast is to help listeners answer the question, what can I do with my life after a career in consulting? In addition to understanding the jobs after consulting, we try to put a story behind it. I'm Ken Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Each week, I get to host guests that have spent time in consulting and made some sort of pivot or career change. The goal is to help our audience understand all the options that they have available to them and ideally learn from our guests, both in terms of what they did right and things they wish they would have done differently. Today, we welcome Rajitha Swaminathan to the studio. Rajitha, I hope I pronounced that correct. Yes, I will give you a nine on 10, uh, but thank you and great to be here. Yeah, no, thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got your, your last name, at least a nine out of 10. But um, I guess maybe would love to just start off uh, if you could give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself. Sure. So everyone, I'm Rajita Swaminathan. I am currently um, the Vice President of Program Strategy and Member Services here at Grameen America. Uh, that basically means I head Program and Operations um, at Grameen America. So Grameen America is a microfinance institution. It's a nonprofit um, that works to provide access to finance uh, to women entrepreneurs. So if you've ever heard of the Grameen Bank um, of uh, Mohamed Yunus, the Nobel Peace Prize on, on providing uh, small dollar loans, uh, if you watched a dollar a day, then you know it's the exact same model. So it's one of the very few imports that we have made uh, from the East to the West uh, quite a few years ago. So it follows the exact same model uh, as the Grameen Bank. Um, so I've been here for the last six years now. It's been quite a journey. And although we're a nonprofit, I like to say that we're very much in startup environment. It's It's got a lot of ex-consultants. It's got a lot of ex-startup people working here. So it makes for a great, um, a great vibe, a lot of energy in the team. Um, I come here from consulting. So I was at Deloitte uh, Strategy and Operations Consulting prior to this. Um, also a very eventful journey. Uh, spent a few years there straight out of grad school. Um, I went to school for public policy and international affairs at Columbia. Uh, I came into grad school with an MBA from India. So it's been a long circuitous path. Um, and um, if, if you're dialing way back in uh, the past, then I'm originally... Um, an engineer uh, by at, at undergrad, so I think I'm I've, I've taken like three different pivots um, from where I should have been. Should have been an engineer tinkering with something now, but great path. Happy to be where I am and share my experiences. That was a long one. No, that's great. Thank you, Regisa. We uh, we like to dial back here. We but what we promise uh, we won't do is 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 put years behind that. But no, really great to have you. I'm excited to learn personally about kind of microfinance in general and what you're doing at Grameen America. But I guess the first question that I would have is, how does it all work? Could you tell us a little bit about how kind of microfinance works in general? Sure. So microfinance is what the word says, right? So it's 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 everything that's scaled down. Um, so the the biggest gap it seeks to address is 
serve people who are not served by the mainstream financial system. Uh, what the the primary uh, service or the primary product is a micro loan. That's again what what the name says. It's a really really small loan. So we make small dollar loans that start from five hundred dollars up to two thousand dollars. That's how small it is. Uh, it's made to low income women only um, who are unbanked or underbanked. So they do not get. They don't have a credit score. They don't get a loan at a bank. They likely don't have a bank account. Uh, they likely don't know much to read and write. They're first gen immigrants. Um, they've come here. They're looking to start a business to make their future, right? To set set it up here. So we're usually the first injection of capital, um, and from then on, we continue to provide uh, capital for, for as working capital, as investments to help their business grow. So they keep. Uh, expanding their business, they sell fruit down the down the street. They bake bread at home. They have a cleaning service, etc. And we fund that until they're large enough to to be banked. Um, that's one of it. We also help them build assets or help build savings, uh, which is we found one of the biggest uh, needle movers in terms of generational uh, mobility, financial mobility. Um, we help them build credit. Uh, which in the U.S. is a big deal. So almost 95% of the people we serve do not come in with any credit history prior to coming to us and we help them build that. And all of this kind of like centers around peer support. Um, and that that's what microfinance is. What we do in microfinance is kind of unique in its model. So we So how do we lend to these people who have no credit score, who don't have a storefront to show, uh, who don't have a lot of assets, no collateral. So I like to say that we go back to 18th century banking, um, to what the banking system originally was. How do you lend to a person? Because somebody else gave you their word for it, right? So I know she's really trustworthy. I know she sells down there every day. I see her kids at school every day. We go to the same church. I'm vouching for her that she will, she'll make good on, on the promise um, that she will invest her capital, she will grow a business and she'll pay you back. And that's all that we base our loans on. So that's the underwriting is one person's word for another. Um, and that's that's the fundamental of the model. Um, so that's basically what it is. It's it's banking that is for the millions that aren't banked. That's incredible. I'm 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 sure you're I mean, changing all sorts of lives, not just on the the women that you're that you're banking with, but also kind of their families. How do you, as a, as an organization, identify people? Do are they coming to you? Or are you going to them? What does that look like? Yeah, so we're very very grassroots. Likely why most people haven't heard of us except our recipients. But we're very grassroots. We work. We're a national organization, but we work in community. So we're very local in that sense. So we have, we hire from the community and they are our frontline staff, right? So they make up our frontline. They are, our, we call them relationship managers, but you could call them ambassadors. You could call them uh, caseworkers, social workers, what have you. Uh, they generally lead us from the community that would then uh, go and speak about our program to the community. So we have we have this in over 20 cities right now in multiple states. We have over 67,000 active borrowers. We've served over 160,000 women in the U.S. alone. 
Um, so it's very, it's very, very grassroots and so grassroots that uh, no one has really heard about us in, in, in mass marketing, so to speak. Wow. No, that's incredible. I only discovered you through my own research. In fact, that I had never heard of, of Grameen, but I, I didn't realize the extent of the scale. I mean, 67,000, that's incredible. Um, and then, okay, so you kind of have a, have a grassroots kind of approach. And then you were just talking about the way that not only you're working with them kind of like upfront, but then on an ongoing basis in terms of kind of like savings and credit. Um, could you maybe tell us about kind of like a, a a few examples or success stories just so that we can kind of like put put a put a story behind it? Yeah, sure. We have, I mean, we have sixty thousand of them, but we've had. Um, I think I'm going to give one genetic story and then like one one personal one. Um, I like to say that so we have this florist, right? So of course, florist is a fancy name. We have this woman in Queens, New York, who had just come into the U.S., single mom, had her three kids, looking for a way to make ends meet, provide a good education for her children, provide a better life, had just come in from South America. And so she was really good at um, flower arrangements back home. And so when she came in here, she got her first loan to literally buy and sell flowers. So she would go to the wholesaler um, twice a week, every morning, come back to Queens and sell them as as a bouquet seller. Um, that was with her first one. And then she stayed with us for years. Um, two years down the line, she's one of those the those people that in, in New York corner shops and delis, you'd see that little extension that comes out where you sell these these flowers. And that's what she was. And she was uh, she had this little refrigerator that would keep the flowers cool. Um, and then cut to like five years down the line, she's doing, she has big wedding contracts and big party contracts. She's she's a registered business. They have, they moved into this, you know, a home of their own, which is not, they're not buying a big fancy home, but they were in this shared room with so many families and to see them just move step by step over just the time that I've been here has been amazing. So Whenever we go to Queens, whenever I go to Queens, we make it a point to like stop there, get some flowers. It's just been such an incredible journey that I've seen. Like we both started at the same time at Grameen, right? So it's been pretty cool in that sense. That's incredibly touching. Thanks for sharing that. And, and you mentioned one other kind of personal story as well. Well, not less about a single borrower, but for, I mean, we, we've all had a very difficult two years um, and and not I wouldn't say any lesser or any more but very differently this was the first population to be affected and businesses back in March 2020 like the first thing that happened like was everybody was home not sure what to do you weren't buying off the street that was the last thing you think of people that were doing hair and nails were the first ones to to stop having any business and it was the most vulnerable population there wasn't food to put on the table they don't have a lot of excess cash to cushion them and so we saw this as the most affected financially but what was sadder was it was also the population that was most affected health-wise we have our largest population in new york in in, in in March, in Elmhurst and Queens, and this is where our borrowers lived and without proper access to healthcare, which is a whole different industry. We don't deal with it, but it was just really, 
it was heartbreaking to watch um but it's also been a reminder of how resilient each one of these women are and we came out of the pandemic stronger than ever before we were an extremely in person organization we met these women every single week in the community in their basements and their businesses and their living rooms and now we're fully virtual and every one of our borrowers dials in at these zoom weekly meetings with like 40 people on every zoom every hour it's amazing to watch to the the whole turnaround uh borrowers went from selling down the street to selling on uber eats and it's just it's been quite quite a lovely pivot i want to say it's been amazing to just watch that resilience uh it's nice to say that at the at the other side of it but it has been it's been a hard two years but it's so inspiring to see all these women come together and help each other out and then and not sail through but make it through the last two years that's incredible and especially when you think about kind of um you know just the the way poverty can impact a community right it's 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 often kind of like where we start in life that has a big impact of of kind of like where we're going and like um n- not only are you helping these women entrepreneurs but uh their children and their children's children theoretically are going to have a, a better shot uh, at an opportunity as a direct result of what you're doing yeah so we uh, the fundamentals of the philosophy of the organization is is it's a hand up and not a hand out which is we will continue to support you for years and years with loans right so we will keep injecting capital there are all loans for a reason like these are this is not grant capital uh we're embedded in communities so we don't enter and leave so every community we've been in we've never exited um and that i think that's the piece that makes generational impact right so teaching someone how to fish rather than like providing them that's incredible. I like that a hand up versus a hand out. I think that that's cool. Um, and what about so uh, you specifically? Wh- I, I know you're a big part of uh, of the organization at Grameen, but what is what is your role now, and kind of how has that evolved over the years? Sure. So right now, I sit in the senior leadership uh, that manages all our field operations, basically. So we operate as a field structure. that's in this community so i manage all of that and i manage program strategy so that deals with expansion like where are we going next which communities are we serving next both in terms of geography so are we going to a new city or are we um which community do we serve more or better so do we so uh, we know there's a big need in the black american community as well for access to capital so how do we serve is that community etc so expansion um it's product and services that includes a micro loan but also what's our savings product what's our um member education product is there a health component to it etc so all of the areas uh the area of of products and services and and what's next uh is also in my bucket and and then there's member services which is basically what else do we provide for our members apart from the loan through our standard model which is through our field right so what what are the value added services that we provide to them to accelerate their growth um so i manage all of that of course not alone with with a lot of help um we have uh a field structure but we sit in the national office that that kind of manages everything here um i came in uh very specifically managing um 
programmatic initiative. So a lot of special initiatives and special programs. So like I said, um, what else apart from the microloan? Um, uh, was it, so it was building the credit building pillar from scratch. It was uh, putting up an asset building structure from scratch. Um, it was a lot of special projects. So we are currently completely cashless and paperless. Um, and when I came in, that was the big transition, right? So people were dealing with cash. These were like $40 installments that people were paying us, right? So we're collecting a lot of cash, like literal cash and putting them in trucks and send. So right now we're completely cashless. People pay us electronically. They pay cash on an agent. It's routed to us. Um, our loans no longer go out as checks or cash. They all go out in a prepaid card or to their bank account. So this whole digitization transition uh, was a big, uh, big one for the organization. And I was here to move that along as well. That's incredible. And okay, so then if you think about kind of like the, the you know, what you focus on now in terms of kind of like the end-to-end experience and kind of um, also where to go next, um, it, it, I'm curious to hear about the experience as it relates to kind of like what you ask from uh, the, the the women entrepreneurs that you're working with, right? Because um, uh, we talk about kind of like the hand up versus a hand out, but um, you know, oftentimes, right? Uh, you you can't just give something, right? There, there's a lot there, there. There needs to be something. I'm probably being, not being very articulate, but um, I'm sure you have kind of like a, certain requirements and everything like that to make sure that it's um, successful for them as well as you. Yes, so that all falls within field operations, right? So a big part of it is risk management. So it's it's a large portfolio. Currently, we're $165 million portfolio. We've disbursed over $2 billion. So $2 billion in small, small loans is a lot of loans. <laughs> a lot um, of complexity, yeah. A lot of complexity. So it's a big, massive engine, I want to say. Um, it's also a self-propelling engine, right, that we really... It's a very push mechanism up to the first 500 people in any community, in any location we go to. And then onwards, it becomes a word of mouth uh, methodology, right? So quickly, it quickly ramps up. Um, But it does come with a lot of risk, right? So lending to this population does come with a lot of risk. So risk management is a big part of the profile. Um, So we do have very stringent requirements, which is a bulk of the operational lift that the field does as the bread and butter so we meet with our each one of our borrowers every single week it used to be rain or shine we meet with you in your community so we're at at the business that you are at the salon uh, where this group of 30 women would meet where we'd be at someone's living room right whichever the predetermined time and place was today it's on zoom um it's different um but still happens at the pre so if it's monday morning at 8 30 a.m everyone's present there is this, uh, that's a non-negotiable for, for being part of the program. Um, and then we have a lot of other requirements. Of, so you only come in as a group. So it's a group model. You don't come in by yourself. I come in with four other like-minded women or other entrepreneurs and they give their word for me, right? I give my word for them. We're all from the same community, all doing our own different businesses. But that's due diligence. Who's doing the due diligence on my business? It's these other people that are the, whose group I'm part of. Um, so it's not an individual program. The loans are individual, but you don't enter the program by yourself ever. So that goes back to is someone else willing to give their word for you, right? Is willing to put put their name and their reputation behind you. 
Um, so that's a lot of what goes on operationally. It's it's dealing with our members on a daily, hourly uh, basis. Does that answer your question? I'm not really sure. It does. It does. And in fact, you, you kind of told me something else, which is they're also building their own kind of, it sounds like, uh, communities and informal success networks, if you will. Yes. So they, so they work together and kind of talk. They work together. Oh. Exactly. So it's a lonely, it's a lonely pathway, right? Like entrepreneurship in general is a lonely pathway. You're not part of an organization. You don't have a role and a designation. Um, so yes, these networks. And when I, when I talked about the pandemic, it was in that context that these groups of like 30 women have sailed through together, have stuck together. Um, and it's, they've been together for years and years. Um, we assumed when we started, we weren't really sure how long they would last. Uh, they've lasted way more than we expected them to. That's great. And, um, and how did you get involved with Grameen in the first place? How did you find them? Uh, that's a good question. So it was in consulting client after client. It's hard to get off. I think we were talking about this before the show. It's hard to get off of, of, of the consulting train, right? It's, it's, it's a hamster wheel. The hamster wheel. It's yeah. a train. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's also moving pretty fast. So there's rarely a moment where you actually get to pause and think about what you want to do and make this meaningful shift. So I do consider myself in incredibly lucky um, that everything actually allied at the like aligned at the same time uh, but this is a long way of answering your question but anyway um, I was very keen on coming back to what I always wanted to do which is work in policy slash nonprofit um, or basically economic development right less nonprofit and more economic development was my focus um, in consulting, I had, by virtue of being in New York, I was, my industrial focus was financial services. So I'd worked with mostly Wall Street clients, a lot of investment banks, asset managers. Um, and it was just so conspicuous to me about the population that wasn't served. And it just made for... And even better, like I, I knew what I wanted to do more or less. Like I wanted to be in economic development, but I was also really interested in education, right? Ed tech was a big field that was coming up. I thought I could make a lot of impact there. Um, I still am very interested, but, but because I was in financial services, I felt I had this unique vantage point or this unique view of what's not being done or what could be done better. Uh, we're working on retail bank transformations, right? Operating model transformations. And I'm like, that's great. But there's also this huge population that the retail bank isn't serving. And so I just thought that this is an industry where I could make the most impact, just given my experience uh, and that matched what I wanted to do. So that's how I came across Grameen America. Uh, and... I reached out like it was a cold email I think at that point hadn't heard back for months and months forgot about it entirely and then I remember the person that had me was was the the previous chief program officer and he just reached out to me out of the blue saying well we have this role do you want to come in um not a time when I thought of leaving consulting but I knew this wouldn't this opportunity wouldn't come again so I had to say yes um and yeah, so I'm glad I said yes. It was a great decision. 
two things you touched on I think are really important there. So, so one is that you that you just researched it on your own. You did a cold outreach and look what happened. I I think that's something that like a lot of consultants kind of like fall into the trap of hey if this job doesn't exist like online then then it's not there. And and I think the more curious you are and the more proactive you are about just reaching out and talking to people, the more opportunities that you'll find that maybe not that maybe not even here today but that could be there tomorrow. And the second thing I guess I'm curious that you touched on is just okay, you're in you're at Deloitte, you're doing kind of retail banking transformation and you're thinking about the folks that are not necessarily being served by those banks. I guess where where did that kind of where does that kind of thinking come from? Does it come from kind of your upbringing? Um, I, I know you, you know, you're a first generation immigrant. Um, tell me a little bit more because not every consultant is kind of thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess I can't particularly point to one, one thing, but I, so I come from India. I come from the South of India mostly like lived lived in Mumbai, Delhi and Chennai all my life, right? So so in the large metropolitan cosmopolitan city. So not to say that I'm very familiar with with the rural market and things like that. But I also grew up in India at a time when everything was going, I want to say, mass market or the 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 buzzword at the time I remember going into college and the others was bottom of the pyramid. Right, like you have this huge population that's that's sitting uh, and that's at the bottom of the pyramid, but is moving up pretty quickly, and the 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 way to actually service them would be through either private sector um, or through even the financial sector, right? And it's not necessarily it was it was this huge opportunity, and that would unleash what what would then be the power of the developing markets or the emerging markets of BRICS and all of these uh, acronyms that that were popular then, right? Um, and and I saw that play out in a completely different industry. So prior to the US, um, I got my MBA from India, worked worked at, at Unilever, and then and uh, interned at Unilever and went to this mobile telecommunications giant called Airtel. And that was the, um, not the advent of, but, but the complete spike or the explosion of mobile services in, in India back then. Um, and I, I, I remember I had this freshly minted B-school grad, right, from one of the elite B-schools, really expect this fancy corner office um, working mobile communications which is the next big thing and so how do you unleash the power and you're having its induction or orientation whatever you have the CEO come and talk to you it's, it's amazing and then I remember being posted to uh, to this really tiny village in the south of India just simply because I knew the language and I'm like I cannot imagine myself here ever this is like the worst thing that has happened to me um, and then my my whole project, or I was told like you have to do rural expansion. You have to make sure every single person in this district, which is if you know India, it's millions and millions of people living in this tiny district, uh, has a mobile phone and they all use their cell phone to to talk all the time. 
Um, and it's your job to make sure they all have a mobile phone and they all also have like value-added services, which is data and stuff, which no one had ever thought of then. And as much as I hated it going in, I absolutely loved, loved it coming out of it because what an experience, right? But it also, apart from the amazing experience, which I never would have naturally had, uh, was, was the revelation that if like the reason it's this multi-billion dollar industry now is not because the very elite 200 million people are using it, but it's because the rest of the 800 million are talking on their phones every single day, right? And that's like the unleasher. And it was the market that was always ignored because you always thought, oh, like a cell phone is very fancy. Uh, getting a mobile plan is, is expensive. Or it was expensive then, right? Like 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, and it was only for the elite. Like, oh, the you don't expect anyone else to be uh, a random person in agriculture or someone that's like driving a cab or working as house help to actually have a phone. And we saw that both like telecommunications as well as electronics. So there was the cell phones that were reverse engineered and stuff, right? For that cheap, that that was the unleasher. And I think that's what I understood by, well, if you really want to make it big, you have to service this big, massive market that you're not really seeing and you're not going to get ahead by actually just serving the very elite, right? The top of the pyramid. Um, and so that that thought always stuck to me. I see a lot of similarities between that and what I do now. Um, and it was it's very similar now. We're again in banking, uh, again, a huge industry like um, telecom, and again, ignoring a pretty big population, um, knowingly ignoring, right? Um, for 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 good reasons, not to say uh, not to oh, say they yeah, are com- complexity risk. Complex, I mean, it's just, it it's doesn't fit with the model. Yeah. extremely. So I get that, but it's it's also the point of banking is to provide liquidity to the system. Like that's the premise, right? So I always keep going back to like. Like, so who's like, what's new? We're doing the same things again, right? So one bank's trying to get the same mortgage from another client. And that's, so who are we not targeting? Uh, And so, yeah, I think it was, it's that. It's also, I think that motivated what, that experience in India motivated me to come and study international affairs and policy here. Um, And I did that knowing that I would have this interplay between business and policy uh, or business and development um and it's a hard it's a it's a very nice uh, intersection to be in uh, but a difficult one to actually find opportunities career wise um so yeah that's that's why i came here and i think the the long the long route got me here eventually that's such a great story and and it makes a lot of sense too and and i, I now i kind of see the see the parallel or the connection i guess kind of going back to consulting right um you were at deloitte before you you went to grameen i mean I, you mentioned kind of like retail banking transformation projects which uh, obviously are very very different than from from kind of what you're doing now but we're i guess talk to me a little bit about kind of where you felt like consulting prepared you well for for call it this chapter and where you feel like you were missing some things oh i think the consulting me prepares anyone for any chapter. I'm a huge proponent. Um, uh, Right now, like all the junior folk in my team, I keep 
I keep uh, advising the same, right? Like at some point in your life, not at some point, at the beginning of your career, you have to be an analyst. It it really sucks to be an analyst when you're an analyst. <laughs> it, areas, it does. Areas, <laughs> but you have to be an analyst. And I think you miss not being an analyst when when that's missing. Uh, so... Yes, I wish I could be an analyst right now. <laughs> like, I, mean, I if, wish I could have analysts working for me right now. So I'm really <laughs> happy I'm not an analyst. But no, but you do miss it though. Yeah, you, you, well, I I would say you you it, there are some things you miss about being an analyst too, right? It's like you you get to kind of. I, I know it sucks, but at the same time, there's the lack of responsibility. I think also makes it nice. It's it's great. I mean, I mean, it's great now. I definitely wasn't seeing that back in the day. Uh, but I guess so. There's like one aspect that consulting teaches, and everyone would likely say, "Oh, it's how to interact with clients and all that." I wasn't doing that as an analyst. Like the maximum I was interacting with clients was like scheduling, right? Like when can I get this meeting? And like coordinating schedules between the MD from the client and the partner from Deloitte. So we've all been there, done that, done our time with it. Um, but as in, as in consulting, everybody is a doer, right? Everybody is a doer. And or you're a manager, but you have been a doer and that makes life easier for you. So if you're not in the weeds of a spreadsheet, if you've not built the model assumptions yourself, if you've not built a, si- a slide by yourself that makes sure that it includes all the important aspects that you want to communicate, it just makes life so much more difficult for you as you grow up in along any corporate level. And I want to say that's a big difference as a as, uh, as I've progressed, I've, I've seen that play out, right? I'm able to get into the weeds of what it means to be, what does this model actually indicate? Where are these assumptions coming from? Which otherwise I wouldn't have asked if at some point I wasn't the builder of the model myself, right? I'm not doing the same exact thing now, but, I, but I'm able to ask that. Um, and I guess like the fancy word to say it is attention to detail. Like if you're sending a word document, a paragraph outside of your... If setting if it goes out of your outbox, you, it has to have attention to detail. Like, how could you miss that full stop, right? How could this number be? Oops, yeah, a typo. It's not fifteen million. It's fifteen point two. Like, whatever it is, like you can't. Um, and I think that is a huge consulting mindset. Like, attention to detail is everything. Um, and. It's contrary because everyone says the big picture and it's strategy consulting and all of that, right? It's all of that for the fancy partners. Uh, for yeah, that's that that's when they're convincing you to join yeah, the firm, right? Yeah, the ones who made the decks. This attention to detail, right? So I think the fact that I think attention to detail, everything is a deliverable, right? You can't just nothing's a half baked thing. Um, I think that's a double-edged sword too. I think that can hold you back at a lot of times. I've, I've, I've had to outgrow it here. But the fact that everything's a deliverable has, has its pluses. So everything's a polished product. And somehow, anyhow, you'd make it happen um, is, a big, is a big, big win from consulting. So I think 
yeah, it's you can learn the industry later. You can learn them. You can learn judgment later, right? Like you'll come across all these big fancy managerial things later. But it's 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 the doing and it's the attention to detail and and getting down to the weeds that comes from consulting. Yeah, especially you, you bring up attention to detail in terms of kind of being a double edged sword, and I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I still find myself aligning boxes and really? bullet points, and Just it's like, so it's so not productive. Like, for, it's like, not. like it's right? okay if there's a box that's on this. I can't see it. Yeah, it does. It, yeah, it's not going to fund one more loan for you guys, right? But it's just like yeah, I can't get, yeah. But you still can't. You can't you use two different fonts. <laughs> it is like it's two different sizes of fonts. It's yeah. fine. Like it's yeah. not going to kill anyone. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh yeah, it's great to know you do the same. Yeah. Oh yeah. And something I ask everybody uh, uh, that that joins us is kind of okay. If if you're at a consulting firm right now, you're you're kind of exploring. Um, maybe you're exploring a career in kind of microfinance or nonprofits or something to more of a kind of a give back. What advice would you have for someone? So in terms of like logistically speaking or in terms of skill? Just in in general, if a consult, you know, a current consultant knocks on your door and says, Rajitha, I'm thinking about leaving consulting. What advice would you have for me? So uh, I mean, straight up the bat, I think it's a, great choice it's not something that comes to your mind first because the assumption is the opportunities are very few and they are few fewer um but they're not none um i think if like when you're trying to pivot and you're moving to any non-corporate field i would say right it doesn't have to be non-profit it could be something that has a triple bottom line or a sustainability angle etc I think two main pieces of advice. One is if you're moving from consulting into that, I would, and that does not even have to be consulting, but given that you're making the pivot into, the, into this, it, sh- it would rather be in the main business of, of, of the firm you're moving into. So for Grameen, for example, it's operations, right? Like it's run by the field. So I would rather be in program and operations rather than finance or tech, which are really important to it. But if you're moving from consulting to this, I would rather be the main bread and butter of, of the organization. The same that if I were to move to education, right? So what is the department or what is the, the biggest, um, what keeps the engine running is a big one. Um, I think especially if, especially if you're coming from consulting, right? Because you're, it's hard to say from the, it's, it's, you would think that, oh yeah, I'm really good at modeling. So I'm going to be working on fine on the finance team. Right. But it's probably, it's, it's not more of the same. Yeah, It's not the same. <laughs> if you want to do that, if you were to do a functional role, if you want to do it, that's what you want to do. If you want to do a functional role, I would say you go to a corporate, you go to your client. Okay. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a better choice. If you're going more as a generalist, uh, pick the main department of what you're doing. If it's Teach for America, right? you get into the school system, right? If it's microfinance, you get into operations. If it is uh, health, then you go into whatever the, the 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 actual delivery mechanism is. Like, so what's what's the biggest department of the organization? I would say that's one. Um, the second is actually a um, it's it's a bit counterintuitive because you think nonprofit is very laid back. I want to say it's more intense than consulting, if that's believable. Um, 
because they're all run or the good ones are all run very, very lean, right? They're very lean. They usually employ consultants as they usually will employ consultants for large projects. Um, but it's very lean and it's run, run as a startup. Most of the large ones, right? Um, because you're constantly doing and managing and you're making these decisions that very quickly impact the end person as well. Um, and so to not assume that uh, you do it for work-life balance, for example, right? That's a little bit of a misconception and can play against you. We've had people actually that join, I've seen people join and leave because there wasn't work-life balance. Um, it definitely is more predictable. There's a lot less travel. There's, I don't do the Monday through Thursdays anymore, uh, but it is intense, right? As, as, I would think most other well-run nonprofits are or well-run B Corps are. Um, so just keep that in mind. And then third, I would say there's a very strong career growth path in any of these. Um, there's less money involved, but again, misconception, right? No one's working for free. Like we're all here to pull a a good dollar out of it. Um, and so there is a career path. There's a very promising career path with promising monetary and non-monetary aspects, right? So it's not um, it's not charity just to like say that out loud so that you are, and so don't sell yourself short when you are actually at the phase of, when you made the decision, you're interviewing, whatever, you're negotiating, um, know your worth. Like that's, you're, you're not volunteering your time. And that's completely different from actually being a volunteer at a nonprofit, right? If you're going to work here as a professional, you're going to, take this to the next level, then consider yourselves very much at market price, not going to claim investment banking salaries, but you're going to claim whatever is, um, is reasonable. Then so to not, not sell yourself short at a very, it's a very tactical logistical thing, but, um, but I think it's important for consultants to remember. That's such great advice in general. So I talk to a lot of folks that are transitioning from consulting to it's the, it's their first kind of call it grown up job, right? And the main focus for whatever reason, and I was guilty of this as well, tends to be salary because that's like the number one thing that everyone is focused on. But it's this weird kind of dichotomy in that it's important because it's going to impact you for a while and it's going to impact other people in your life most likely and you should absolutely know your worth but there are a million other things about the role and the job that kind of that matter a lot that people don't always take into consideration and one thing that i would add um is also just the person that you're going to be working with most closely yes yes you bring up such a good point unlike consulting you're not going to be able to get away uh, from this project. Yes. So I would say 100% I know, like, yeah, you brought up a great point. I think that's exactly right. It's not like, well, I've done my 12 weeks. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, can, I can move on. Yeah, I don't exactly. want to see you ever again. I'm going to make sure I'm never ever staffed with you. That's not going to happen. So you really have to like the people there. Like you're going to see them every single day of the week. Yeah, it's 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 it. I I think that's uh, you summed it up way better than I did. The um and, and great advice just in general. Um, and I guess Regisa, the 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 last thing that I would kind of want to bring up uh, is we are 
all nerdy consultants. So we're we're trying to build up a, a library, if you will, for our our viewers. And just we ask every guest is what what book would you recommend to uh, to, to to somebody? It, it can be anything, um, anything you want. Yeah, I'm not a very big business book reader. Um, so, but I am going to like. I'm going to recommend my latest read, which I really liked. It's not not the latest book, but it's called Range, um, which you've likely read. Um, I really like it. And I think it's got a lot to do with what consultants also do, right? So the whole premise is you always have a, you must or you must engage in a range of different activities that build up different skills that are in the end going to make you a more holistic person and make you better in this work of things they're going to make you better at the one thing that you choose to do so they use a lot of really good sports analogies which we all love like who doesn't love like sports and military analogies you know um but they use a great federer example of why he's great at tennis because he didn't really play a lot of tennis when he was growing up he's played a bunch of other things um and i think it's so applicable to consultants right it's going to we do a bunch of different things um, that knowingly or unknowingly make us better at something that we want to do after consulting. And if you don't want to do something after consulting, that's just fine too. Um, but I know lately there's being a generalist gets a lot of, uh, gets a bad rap and there are very specialized fields, including data science and product management, etc., which actually do take a lot of uh, ex-consulting skills. So I would I would say like, Totally own the fact that you that you have that you're okay at ten different skills, and that's not a bad thing to do. Um, so yeah, I would I would recommend that book. I think it's a great read for consultants and, and puts things in perspective. Wholeheartedly agree, and I and I think a lot of what you do now encompasses it range, does. right? Yes. You're you're dealing with and genuinely caring about everybody that you're giving a loan to as well as you know having a conversation with you know the ceo with of a, and don't, yeah, yeah exactly exactly yeah. and and i think that's such an important um it, whether you call it like kind of like being dynamic or you know what, whatever I, I think it's an important thing um to have um so great great recommendation we will add it to to the library. Um, I just kind of wanted to wrap up. So um, if anybody is li- interested in kind of learning more about Grameen America or even, you know, is, is, is a woman entrepreneur that's looking to get funded, where can we find you? Yes. So please reach out to us. We're at grameenamerica.org. Um, you can always reach me directly. Um, I'm on the website, but it's rswaminathan at grameenamerica.org. Um, I also want to say like if for whoever is in consulting or is, is wants to go to entrepreneurship, whatever it is, like if you want to connect with me, feel free, um, happy to make connections, happy to share experiences, good and bad. Um, so yeah. Rajitha, thank you so much for joining us. I have personally learned a lot and I, I know our, our listeners will um, enjoy this episode in particularly. For those of you joining for the first time um, and want to check out past episodes, you can uh, learn more uh, either by subscribing to sub- 
on our, to our podcast on Spotify or Apple. Um, and if you're looking to learn more, uh, we have a website called beyondconsulting.info. And then lastly, if you want to get in touch with me directly, it's www.eca-partners.com. But until next week, Rajitha, thanks so much for joining us and Thank look forward you. to speaking with everyone next week. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.